huge on water in the sense that they don't like vacation at the sea like we do in the West. And so they had this maybe intrinsic fear of the ocean. And they had this on a different level than maybe you or I do. The principle is this. If you lead another believer, one of God's children, into sin, you'd be better off dying a horrible, horrible death. And what I thought about when when I read this verse was this, that that's really only a true principle inside of a Christian community. Although some people don't want to hurt other people or lead them astray, uh, you're not going to find that type of intensity where I, where I know you as my brother and sister in Christ, and I say, man, I would rather drown than cause you to stumble. That, that's not something outside of the body of Christ. Like, for example, if you deal with alcoholism, and you go to any local bar in town, and you start striking up a conversation with even maybe a, a past relationship with someone who's hitting the bottle, and then they slide the bottle down to you, you're not going to find anyone at the local bar that's going to say, Man, I would rather drown in the ocean than watch you drown in this bottle. That's an ethic that lives inside of the church because God is giving us this picture of his bride and him as a protector. And it's not just the New Testament, it's the Old Testament. God gives us this visual picture of what it looks like to be protective. In Genesis 12, he talks about, out of my loins is going to come a great nation. And he says, whoever blesses you, I'm going to, do you know? I'm going to bless. And whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. It's this protective nature of God's people, that he has a heart for his people. In fact, there's actually kind of a metaphor of us being the apple of God's eye if we're in Christ or we follow God. And that's, I didn't even actually, this is embarrassing, but I didn't quite understand that. Did you guys know that's not a literal apple? How many of you knew that? Be honest. Good. Okay. I'm not alone. Or your hand's tired, right? That he's actually, the apple of your eye is known as the center of your eye. It's the idea that if you poke the center of my eye, I'm going to act because God's pe- my people are at the center of my heart. And Psalm 105, verse 15, it says, Touch not my anointed ones and my prophets, do them no harm. These translations, it's not just Mark, it's actually in Matthew. That was prophetic that I messed that up. Matthew 18, 6 through 7 says this, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. We already heard that, right? But check out this next verse. Woe to the world for temptations to the sin. For it's necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one whom the temptation comes. And so there's this idea, there's this cost, the millstone around the neck. If you cause other people to sin, it is a massive, massive deal to me. Okay, so now he's going to take it from causing other people to sin to if you're sinning yourself, this is how big of a deal it is to me. Check out these next verses. You've probably heard them before. In fact, maybe we even walk in one line together that's repetitive. Verse 43, and if your hand causes you to sin, what does it say? Cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Verse 45, and if your foot causes you to sin, what do you do? Cut it off. That's not really working. I need more participation. Because it's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, this is different. This is more graphic. What I'm requiring you to do is to tear it out. Because it's better for you to enter into the kingdom of God than with one eye 
than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. There's this strong language about hell that it's not temporary, it's permanent, that life is eternal, and it's about heaven or hell when you die. And so there's this strong, strong language that's consistent throughout all of the Bible in regards to how serious our sin is to God. And after Jesus resurrects and he sends into heaven, Paul's writings are very much consistent about killing sin, crucifying the flesh. But the big question is this, right? Is that literal? Is that literal or is that some type of meta- metaphor or is it hyperbole? Uh, or is it, is it something that we should actually, should, should anyone come to church next week like Captain Hook? That's the question, Right? And, and I would tell you, and I think there's a big sigh of relief, that that's just not the point of this text. And so if you do that, that's on you. But he, here's what he's saying. That your hands, your feet, and your eyes, that's the sum of everything you see, everything you do, everywhere you go. With all of that in your life, what I want from you as your Messiah is I want you to take this issue of sin very seriously. And here, here's what else is, I think, interesting just to the common viewer that I learned this week from a guy that's way smarter than me. Amputation is not the answer, and that's actually something that was practiced historically. Did anyone know that? I mean, this is something that some monks, it started in the second century. Some people actually practiced the art of amputation and took things to that level And that's just not the point of the text. Here's how we know that's not the point of the text. These verbs are all present tense. And so it's the idea of you keep cutting off these body parts. You keep going back to this metaphor. It's not a one and done deal. But because I only have two legs and two feet, I can't keep doing that unless, you know, someone else is the sacrificial lamb in my place. So it can't be necessarily necessarily a literal deal. And the other reality, reality is this. There are blind people that keep sinning. There are people without legs that keep sinning. There are people without hands that keep sinning. And so if this was just a physical, literal thing, it just wouldn't work because there are people that are crippled that still have a hard heart towards the Lord. So there has to be something more to the text than the literal and the physical. Praise God, we all get to keep our limbs. But the idea in the second century was mutilation would help defeat sin, and it was actually adapted by monks. They took it literally uh, in the Middle Ages, and you would actually see things like this happen. I'll give you a very real example, and I get to feel like a very smart world traveler to even tell this story, but I've been in Ukraine uh, with some people from church, and we take trips to Ukraine because we support some missions work in Ukraine and arise Ukraine. And when I was there on the last day, when I went to this trip a few years ago, uh, we actually got to go visit an Orthodox church, and it was beautiful. I actually have a picture I want to show you guys. Uh, There's this it's beautiful. I mean, in real life, there's a lot of birds on there, but it's really just a beautiful, beautiful church. And as I was touring the church, then the guide told our group, and my wife was actually there with me, she said, uh, if you guys would like, you can go to the catacombs. And that's kind of like the dark basement of the church. And they, they're these catacombs, and they're very, very old. And it's where the monks or the priests, or whatever they call them in the time. I don't know all the history to it. It's where they would actually hang out. And here's where it gets really eerie. Um, this, this is actual picture of where we were at. It felt a lot smaller in real life, but that's probably because most Ukrainians are small, and I'm pear-shaped and tall. But this is what it looks like when you go down these halls. And you guys see this stuff over here. These are actual tombs. Uh, so they kind of like 
I don't know if mummified is the right word, but they would preserve these bodies, and I don't even want to get graphic about what they look like, but they were hundreds of years old, and you can literally look at them. There's glass covering them. Uh, and then we're walking down these catacombs, and, and then the, the person leading things uh, advised us, to the right, if you look in this little window of this catacomb, so you're going down here and it's to the right, uh, there was this, I'm going to call him a monk, I believe it was like a form of a monk, uh, or a priest of this Orthodox church hundreds and hundreds of years ago, who was so tired of sinning that they decided the best way not to sin was to create literally maybe this eight by ten at best space within this catacomb. And for the rest of this person's life, I believe he lived 20 more years, he separated himself from the rest of the world, in essence, cut off everything that could cause him theoretically to sin. This is what he literally did. I mean, if you're claustrophobic, anyone? This is enough to give you a literal, physical, shaking nightmare just in the moment of telling this story. But he takes himself, and for the rest of his life, he's locked in this thing, never gets out again. In this five by 10 space or whatever it was, he's just locked in here. They bring him his food, they bring him a bedpan, and he lives out the remainder of his days. And so what I want to tell you is that in no way is what Jesus is talking about. In fact, that's the opposite of what Jesus is talking about. It's not about secluding yourself or dealing only with the physical. It's all about the heart, and we're going to get to that in a second when we're dealing with sin. But this is how Jesus actually concludes this text, and I want to prove to you that's not what he's talking about. Verse 49 says this, For everyone will be salted with fire. He says, salt is good, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Salt is this preservative. We're to be called into light and not darkness. We're to be set apart. We're to be an example. We're supposed to be ministering to people. And then at the same time, dealing with the sin that's in our lives and putting that change on display for the rest of the world to see. And this idea that, that it's more really just like a, a little huddle for us this morning as a church to reorientate ourselves onto the reality of sin in our lives and to challenge us to live with purity and to pursue the gospel and to live like Jesus called us to live is very, very difficult. In fact, anyone that doesn't think this is difficult, I don't really trust that you're an honest person. But this is the standard in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit that God calls us to. And so for the next few minutes, I just want to walk in these simple truths that we all walk in together and we leave this space or leave our online community together in. Number one is this. Very simple. This is the point of this text. Jesus is telling his church now, 2,000 years later, that how we live matters. That how we live fundamentally matters. That this thing called sin that has plagued us as the ultimate virus, it has a solution and it's the blood of Christ. He takes it so seriously, he goes to a cross and dies in our place. And so what do we do about it? If we would agree that how we live matters, and if we would agree that sin is a massive deal to God, then the big question remaining is now what? And so let me just be very practical in this time. These are things that I've prayed through all week long. I've known this message is coming. I didn't know if I'd give an entire message to it or if it'd be a side conversation to move forward to the next part of the text. I decided in prayer that this was the topic for us today as a church. 
So what do you do if you've got this sin, and don't raise your hand, or you, know, you can send an email if you want because you want more accountability in this area of your life. Uh, it, what do you do with this sin that's plagued you, and you know in your heart when you're vulnerable with God, and when you're vulnerable with the people of God, man, this is something you've been dealing with with five years, six years, ten years. You've just been battling this thing out. The big question is if you concede that how you live matters and that Christ has called you to be separated from that sin, then what? What do you do? Because some of you feel so defeated because it's the same thing Groundhog Day over and over again that you're getting tired of repenting of it because you just feel like you're not even being hurt, right? Here's what I would tell you of all the things that I've learned walking in ministry now the last 13, 14 years full-time. This is the deal-breaker piece. That if you want to have victory over this area of your life, and cut it out metaphorically, but not physically, then I think what God is calling us to do in Scripture is this, to quit living in darkness and to live in light. Sin lives in darkness. Sin lives in darkness. And here's the tragedy of culture, that we are living not just in a dark time because of sin, that we are living in an isolated, individualistic time like we've never seen before. Everyone has a public persona but a very private demeanor, a very private life. It has never been easier to be two-faced. That's, that's the clarity of what I'm saying. And everybody knows that it's true. And so, so my challenge to you, the best victory I have ever seen for people that overcome sin is one core principle. It is going from darkness to light and being vulnerable and saying the church, the idea of the church is so much more than coming to an event or coming to a service or you know, hearing something that I like to hear, or maybe like a day like today I don't like to hear, they understand something that's, that 80% of anybody in church on a given Sunday doesn't really understand. They understand that the church is not a place, the church is not a thing, the church is not a, an event. Hear me say this, the church is a people. And until we have that type of vulnerability and accountability in our lives, nothing probably is going to change. If the people of God don't really know you, then probably, more than likely, you're going to stay in that sin over and over and over again. So what I'm saying, in a lot of words, is this one reality that accountability is at the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Let, let me give you a practical example. Church isn't an event you attend, it's a people that you belong to. Uh, there are a lot of things happening behind the scenes that I want you guys, in the next few weeks, we're going to put all of this kind of on a platter and let you know everything that's going on so that you can jump in. There are a lot of things going on behind the scenes, and there's been a more aggressive platform for men to get involved in our church. The women have been working hard to be in groups for a long time. The men have not in the last few years done so well, and we are trying to see that change. And so there are things happening. For instance, on Tuesday, I said last week, uh, there's a spiritual warfare study that is going on just for men, and the benefit is you get fed. And so uh, week after week, there's now, I think, 20 to 25 of us, maybe 30 if everyone showed up, uh, men coming together. We think we're going to have to maybe move it into the kitchen or something like that because it's outgrown one of our larger rooms. And there's just so much going on in that time where at first, no one's really being vulnerable and they're just kind of listening and learning to a chance study or a spiritual Ingram, uh, spiritual warfare study. But in the last month to two months, guys have started opening up. And I was looking around that room on Tuesday, and I thought to myself, I've gone to lunch with about three-fourths of these men, and I've listened to the problems in their life, and I have literally watched them get saved out of some really crazy stuff. 
I've seen now their family get baptized. Um, I've just seen all sorts of awesome stuff. In fact, on Tuesday, this is what accountability looks like. Uh, someone texted me after the study, and he said, this has been the hardest month of my life. Another person who's been coming a few months now with their family said, the messages that you're preaching on Sunday have struck a nerve with me in the last few weeks. I have this irrational fear that God is going to use me, and I'm very unsettled, as if it's so irrational to think that God would use you. Right? He's just being honest, and he's being vulnerable. A person that I've been walking with for 12 years opened up and study because of addiction issues. He says, man, if it wasn't for these guys sitting around this table studying with me, growing with me, walking with me, taking me out to eat, uh, I don't even know if I'd be alive right now. That's what accountability looks like. Yes, he still struggles. Yes, it's not like this trajectory of sanctification where it just goes on this uphill where he never sins again, but he's saying, I am going to be honest with you. In fact, I had someone give me their cell phone and say, put a code in it that only you can access because I don't trust this phone. I am going to not live in darkness anymore, so I, I put in my social security number and he doesn't know that, right? And so uh, I am not going to live in darkness anymore. You know I have an issue. You've known me for a long time. I am going to be vulnerable with that issue. And in that, I promise you, that is the culture where things change. Write this down. The kingdom of God is built on relationships, period. The kingdom of God is built on relationships. I had lunch with a guy this week. He said, man, I know that's true. I know that's what's missing in my life. But I've been wounded for different events, and I just don't know if I'm ready to be vulnerable with people I don't know real well. I mean, there's a social risk. There's a calculated risk. But this is the difference between the body of Christ and the rest of the world. The rest of the world wants to have a platform where you kind of know them, and things kind of change. The gospel is radically different. It's about intimate vulnerability with people that even though they let you down, you can still trust because they love Jesus. The second thing is this. How we live matters, and to live a life according to this type of command, you cannot do it alone. You can't walk in darkness. You have to walk in light. The second thing is this. Praise God for this. Sin starts in the heart and manifests in the hands and the feet, which is why you don't have to go chopping off your limbs. Jesus addresses this two chapters earlier in Mark chapter 7. And the idea is that the real problem isn't the real problem, or the problem isn't the real problem, it's a manifestation of the real problem. And like I said a few minutes ago, the way we know this is true is that blind people still sin, armless people still sin, people without legs still sin. You guys ever seen Forrest Gump, Lieutenant Dan, still a sinner? That was good. You guys have to laugh at that. that was, I've been waiting to say that all week. That was like, that was my, everything else is going to bomb if that doesn't get a laugh. But heart problems have to be dealt with on a heart level. This is what Jesus actually says. Two chapters earlier, verse 20 in chapter 7, he says this. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, we preach this, for from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, comes sexual immorality, comes theft, comes murder, comes adultery, comes coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. He says all of these things come from within, and they defile a person. And what I want us to see is if we don't get this right, it would just be about behavior modification, and nothing will really change. That the problem behind the problem is the real problem. Sin starts in the heart, 
and manifests in the hands and the feet. And if we don't deal with things at a heart level where we're being vulnerable and exposing those true realities of what's going on in our heart, then nothing's really going to change. And if you don't live in community, there is such a large probability that that will become a reality for you, that you will just kind of close off those crevices of your heart and deny that they're even real. Long before COVID, and so trust me, this is not an attack on anything going on with COVID. So if you're listening online, don't, don't miss what I'm going to say. But long before COVID, there was a resounding gong in the church. And it would be people that I would run into the community that I hadn't seen in a while. And they would almost always say the same thing. I'm listening online. And I'm not saying that's not true. I, I think they do. And I think there's definitely, we've invested in it. There's a large part of evangel, evangelistic opportunity online. But they would say, Rodney, man, you just make it so easy to listen online. And at the first glance, it's like, oh, that's like, that, thank you, right? I mean, I didn't know I was so eloquent and looked so good on a screen. Um, but then the more you hear that, you start to go, your spider senses kind of go up and you're going, I think there's more to that statement that I want to recognize as a pastor. I, I would love to just kind of emotionally look the other way at that statement and pat myself on the back. Boy, Rodney, you just make it really easy to listen to online. Here, here's the problem with that statement. The problem with that statement is that that's not the point of church, right? That, that's not the point. And so if it's about attending something, if it's about consuming something, if it's about a product that some weeks is really good and then other weeks, maybe this week for you, you're like, man, how much longer, right? For some weeks isn't as good. Like, you know, his jokes, that, that Lieutenant Jan, uh, Dan joke, that was off. You know, I don't know. That, the, the product this week wasn't that good. The, the second song with the drums, and then Rodney came up early, looked kind of dumb, thought the song was over. You know, it wasn't our best performance this week. If that's how you view church, where it's like, this is this product, and, you know, the product is, is good when you go into the restaurant. But man, is it better when you go to the drive-thru because you have no distractions. No one knows what you're wearing from the, you know, the, the bottom half down. You can go to work in your underwear, right? I mean, no one knows what's actually happening. It's so much easier for me to consume this product online than it is to be with the people of God. Then The problem with that statement is just on every core level, you miss the point of what we're trying to do here because the kingdom of God is built on relationships, and as much as culture is trying to spoon-feed us this reality, it's just a fact that your screen is not a real relationship, is it? And it's not just like the church, it's everything. Everything's moved digitally where there's no real accountability. Here's what I want to close with. Jesus says, take sin seriously, and we want to crucify the flesh and follow Jesus with all of our heart and live not in darkness but in light. Deal with the heart, not just the behavior, but here, here's where I want to close. This is the victory. I want you to look at this statement, and it's kind of a participation thing where I can't fill this in for you. Jesus is better than, you fill in the blank. Jesus is better than, I don't have the answer for you because it depends on your own sin. I know about five things that I could put in there, but I can't fill it in for you. There's something, here's why I say it. I've known this text since I was little, and this text has scared me since I was little. As a little Presbyterian kid, I didn't know a lot, but I knew this was bad. I knew the idea of cutting things off was not something that I wanted to do. 
And so every time I've ever seen this text, I have then reflected on personal sin and thought to myself at a very heart level with Jesus, man, like if I can't figure this out, can you relate? If I can't figure this out, then is the next step, you know, what he talked about in this text? Do I need to take things to that extreme so that I can finally have victory in my life? Do I need to cut, you know, you know, my eyes out if, if year after year I'm walking down the road and I see something that I shouldn't? I mean, you guys, you guys tracking with that? Do I need to take things to that major? And the answer in the Bible is it's what I've laid out for you. It, it's not a literal thing. But that thing that you think of when you finally get so frustrated that you think to yourself, should I just cut those things out because I'm so sick of dealing with this sin my entire life, I can't get a victory. What I'm asking you to is to identify that thing, fill it in, don't let anyone else see that on your bulletin or on your online bulletin, whatever you're looking at, you're in downtown, do the same thing with me. Micah's gonna pray with you in just a little bit. What I want you to do is I want you to fill that thing in And I want you to believe this reality that Jesus is better than that thing because if you don't believe that Jesus is better than that thing, then you're never gonna have victory. Because what that thing is in your life, look at me, what that thing is in your life is a false idol. And every time you're hurting, every time you're lonely, every time you're fed up, every time your defenses go down and your prayer life weakens and you're not in the word of God and you're not being honest with the people of God, that is the thing that becomes the false idol that tells you this lie that everything's going to be better if you chase this. And the way to have victory is to walk in this reality with the Holy Spirit moving that Jesus is better than anything, any trinket, or any person, or any title that you could ever chase because Jesus demands, if you're born again, he demands the affections of your heart. He does not budge. Everything that you chase in this life, Jesus is better than that thing. And you want to walk in some rich theology? Buy into that truth. If you don't know Jesus in that way, then spend some time before you leave this place crying out to Jesus. Right after this part of the text, this is what I was going to preach on the whole message this Sunday. Maybe next week I still will. He does this teaching on divorce. And Jesus lays out that divorce is not of God. And they start building this case. Well, then why did it allow it in the Old Testament? And he kind of gives an answer for that. And then he goes back to this idea that your problems don't live outside of you. Your problems live inside of you. And so one of the things that I was kind of prophesying, I guess, to our staff, or not prophesying, but predicting just based on being a, you know, a a social psychologist at heart where you observe human behavior as I said, man, I think when with COVID, we're going to see an increase in infidelity. And uh, much to my dismay, I was absolutely right. People are chasing all sorts of goofy stuff right now. And you literally, as a pastor, I mean, I don't want to offend you if this is your struggle right now, but you just want to beat your head against the wall because it's like Groundhog Day. And, and it almost all happens the same. You feel lonely. You feel isolated. You feel bad about yourself. And so the answer, the false idol that's going to cure everything is, this other person that's been in a long history of failed relationships, that's going to fix it for you on an emotional level. That short-term endorphin release feels like love. And so you chase a new person with tons of added drama and the same exact problems that you have, and then shocker, statistically, it fails 80% of the time. But the way it comes into my office and my conversations with someone in the church 
is that that person that you were with six months ago, you never really complained about, and now all of a sudden you come into a pastor's office, and before you admit to the fact that you've been unfaithful, what you then first do, because no one wants to be the bad guy in the movie who victimizes someone else, what you do is you lay out this case why that person that was great for 15 or 20 years in your marriage is now the biggest train wreck and they've treated you so poorly. And pastor, I know it's wrong, but if you only knew how bad it was in my situation. And so then you proceed because you have a guilty conscience to then justify your actions so that you can chase the endorphin release that takes the form of a human that's supposedly better than Jesus Instead of dealing with loneliness, instead of dealing with intimacy issues, instead of watering your grass in your marriage, you decide to run to a person instead of a savior. And I'm just going to, I know this is a hard word way to close this text. But as I close out, just hear me. People make really bad saviors. Things make really bad saviors. Titles, promotions, Identities and self make really bad, bad saviors. Those things that you chase that are so important, a week after you're gone and I do your funeral, hopefully, you're like, I don't know after today, I might not choose you. (laughs) After you leave this time on earth, I promise you it's true, it's just at the garage sale. A week later, everyone's trying to get rid of it. People make bad saviors. Things make bad saviors. Titles make bad saviors. Your kids make bad saviors. Their sporting events are fun to go to, but they make bad saviors. Jesus will not compete for our affections. And I want you to hear this one more time before I pray. Jesus is better than what? It is time to take this issue of sin seriously. And I had this thought as as I pray. I felt like this was straight from the Lord, and I just want you to hear it. I have this belief that if we don't figure this out, and not just new life, but if we don't figure this out as a, as a church across America, if we don't figure this out and take this thing seriously, what does the next generation look like and how many more chances do we have? If there's one more generation that rises up and says, you know, God is loving and sin's not that big of a deal, where, where do we stand? I, I don't think we have more than a generation left before it's completely godless. And so I'm going to close in prayer. You're going to see a testimony again that you saw last week, and then we're going to have a new one for you because we're all about life change, and I want to put that in front of you week after week after week. But here's what I want to do. I know this is incredibly vulnerable. I know that most people are going to say, I'll email you, but don't call me out right now. I am going to be sitting around after church. If there's anything going on in your life, Pastor Chuck's going to come up here. He's got some elders that are going to be present. If you're like, man, Jesus is better than I don't actually believe that and I'm sick of dealing with this thing in my life. It's been plaguing me for years and I have to get in some accountability with it. I'm tired of living a lie. Jesus is better than whatever that thing is. We just wanna spend some time praying with you this morning. And so I'm gonna close in prayer. Let's go to Lord Jesus. We thank you for truth, even when it's hard truth. We know that sin is real, but we know that we have victory over sin because of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, help us to live with this accountability where it's not judgment, it's just real, where we say to our brothers and sisters in Christ, man, this is my struggle, this is what I'm going through. I don't want to live in the dark, and I don't want to chop off my arms and my legs. What I need is a heart transplant. Help me to walk in light. 
Help me to live out the truth of the gospel and help me to be vulnerable with the people of God to be in the middle of the process. Jesus, we pray for transformation in this place that affects the entire community. And we pray this in your name. And everybody said,